Welcome to episode three of the Not Your Mama's Autism podcast. I'm Lala Dada Ali. In episode two, we told the story of how my husband, Tosa, and I met and the special considerations we needed to take into account before we both said I do. In this episode, we will talk about the introduction of our son, now the ripe old age of nine years old, the family philosopher known as Fela. I remember being in that aisle in the drugstore. You know, the one with the pregnancy test. About two months prior, Tosa and I had made the decision to start trying. Now, the time could really be here. Sooner than I expected, to be honest. I grabbed the pregnancy test, checked out, and drove home. For some weird reason that neither of us can quite recall, we both fell asleep and I didn't take the pregnancy test until early the next morning. Sometime shortly after dawn, I took the test and a little plus sign appeared. I remember looking in myself in the mirror, then looking at the test, then looking back at myself in the mirror. This is how a pregnant woman looks, I thought. I ran over to Tusa, who was still asleep. I tried to shake him. He shook me off, mumbled something, and rolled over. Both then and now, Tusa is still not a morning person. I said, Tosa, we're pregnant. He mumbled, okay, and turned back over. He was soundly in sleepy land. If this is not proof we did not yet have kids, I don't know what was. He was still a heavy sleeper back then. Now a pin drops and he'll jump out of the bed. Even hearing the news that we were pregnant with our first child was not enough to wake him up. So I had to try one more time. Tosa, I said calmly, I'm pregnant. Suddenly, the second use of the word pregnant cut through the fog. Oh, he said. Oh, okay, it's real. Now awake, he gave me a big hug and a kiss. We were about to be parents. I jumped into the shower, turned on the water, and immediately felt nauseous. I proceeded to violently feed the shower drain last night's dinner. Yep, I was indeed pregnant. This is going to be interesting. Part of the pregnancy process included genetic testing. The doctor told me that I had the womb of a 19-year-old woman. Not bad for a woman who was 30 at the time. I'll take that, I thought. I was feeling myself a bit. Even though the pregnancy started off a bit rough, things would certainly calm down. I remember telling the doctor about my brother having autism and asking if there was a genetic marker for it. He told me that there was no such test at that time, and we would all just have to wait and see. My nausea would continue for the majority of my pregnancy. I discovered I was giving birth to a champion kickboxer. All while I was working full-time, I would read those pregnancy books and soon discover how I was in the 1% for everything undesirable during a pregnancy. 
Good times, good times, good times. On my drive home one day after work, my eye caught the image of a woman who appeared pregnant as I stopped my car at the red light. It was starting to get cold in Chicago. It was late fall, and she was dressed well for the weather. But you could see that little belly protrude. She cupped her belly, which led me to believe that she was indeed pregnant. She then pulled out a cigarette, lit it up, and took a drag. She immediately appeared at peace. The light was green. It was time for me to go. So I went. It was earlier on in my pregnancy when a family friend approached me and asked if I wanted a boy or a girl. I told them that I just wanted a healthy baby. He laughed and said, don't try to be diplomatic. What do you really want? I was a bit taken aback by the exchange. I responded with, when you grow up with a brother that you know will require long-term care for the rest of his life, trust me, you will be grateful to God for a healthy child. I really don't care if it's a boy or a girl. Perhaps it was a bit too strong of a response, but he left me alone after that. In December that year, the contractions hit hard. My feet were so large that I waddled into the hospital wearing Tosan's boots since my shoes no longer fit. The following morning, I would give birth to my first child, my son, Bella. Bella met all of his developmental milestones throughout his infancy. Once he started talking around 16, 17 months, we discovered that he really liked numbers. At age two, we enrolled him in an early childhood center called Second Language Academy. He was soon starting to come home, speaking bits of Portuguese and French. He was enjoying his time there, and we were enjoying him learning. Second Language Academy was his place to shine. The older kids loved him, and he liked being coddled. Perhaps that's because another family member would soon be making her debut our baby girl. Her story will be fleshed out in more detail in our next episode. But as my belly grew, there were little hints. There were these little breadcrumbs that led to the eventual realization that something was going to be different. One evening, as I was bathing my then toddler, I noticed a look it wasn't a look I had recognized before in my son. He looked off into the distance as if he was in some far-off land, away from all that he knew. I may not have recognized the look in my son, but I definitely had seen this look before. I saw the same look in the eyes of my baby brother, Kunle, years ago. It was so eerily similar. He too used to look away and go off into his own world as a toddler. I made a mental note to myself that I would look into it more if it happened again. After all, Bella could speak, count, label shapes and colors. He would eventually behave in ways as though he was putting distance between himself and me. Tosa both said of grandparents, and his preschool teachers reassured me that his behavior was likely due to my new pregnancy. It made sense to me. It made a lot of sense. 
I was a married, full-time attorney mom of a toddler who was now pregnant with her second child. I really, really, really needed this to make sense right now. So I kept working until I couldn't anymore. And I soon became the mom of two children under the age of three. To make matters even more stressful, Tosa and I made the decision to move to Wisconsin so that Tosan could pursue his MBA. I saw it as a time where I could slow down a bit, take some time out of that rat race, and possibly find some work on the university campus. We made a decision to downsize, sell our home, and move into university housing at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We had a very good family friend help us move from Illinois to Wisconsin. When he pulled up to our tiny university apartment, and helped us move our items into our new home, he looked around, remembering the house we just sold that was at least four times the size of this apartment, and told us, you two can get through this. You can get through anything. He had no idea how prophetic those words would become. Within a week of our moving to Madison, Bella started exhibiting certain behaviors that really made us take notice. He stopped using much of his language. We would ask him questions and he would reply us with stares. These blank stares with no emotion behind it. As a parent, it was frightening. It was like he didn't understand what we were trying to ask him. When just weeks earlier, we could have a real back and forth. What in the world happened over the last couple of weeks? What was happening to my toddler? At his new preschool, Fela would take his toys and separate himself from the other children. He was slowly retreating into his own world, caring more about colors and concepts than people. He showed low interest in talking with his fellow preschoolers. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, Deja vu can be defined as a feeling that one has seen or heard something before. Deja vu can also be described as overly or unpleasantly familiar. The way in which Fela was first this bubbly toddler and slowly started regressing over time had significant echoes of his uncle. But I needed to make sure that this was indeed autism. We needed to get that official diagnosis. I remember family members telling me things like, don't worry, he's just hyperactive, he'll grow out of it. The scary part about that observation was that is exactly what people told themselves at first, all those years ago when Kunle started regressing. Tosa at first wasn't entirely on board with the idea that Fela may have autism, but my intuition kicked in. Parts of this just felt way too familiar. I just needed the confirmation by the experts. But I knew. I know I knew. We scheduled an appointment with our kid's pediatrician and let her know of our concerns that our kid might have autism. She immediately referred us to the Weissman Center. 
the University of Wisconsin-Madison research arm for developmental disability. We didn't know it at the time, but people came from all over the country and in some instances internationally to take their children to this center so that they could have some exposure to some of the most cutting edge research and treatment in the area of autism. Our little university apartment was about a five minute drive from this research center. We thought we were moving to Wisconsin to add yet another degree to our family's educational pedigree, but we ended up moving near a nationally respected research center for autism and didn't know it. The pediatrician's office helped us contact the state's early intervention services. And within three weeks, Bella was evaluated and given a speech therapist to come to the house once a week while we waited for our visit to the Weissman Center. Four weeks into speech, we started to see some of his words come back. But I knew that wasn't enough. I'd done enough research to know that time was of the essence. The earlier therapies started, the more likely of a positive outcome as an adult. He was within three months of his third birthday, and we really needed to get a diagnosis. When we got a call from the Weissman Center, we were told that the waiting list to be seen would be six months long. I waited a day to begin to process all that was happening. So I woke up that next day and I knew I had to do something. So I went to the Weissman Center, approached the front desk to ask what I could do to move my son up this list. I explained that I couldn't wait six months, my husband's graduate program was only two years long, and I felt like we would be wasting valuable time waiting. I was immediately assigned to a social worker who would further discuss next steps with me. As I waited for her, thoughts flooded my mind that I could not stop. Images of my brother were mixing in with images of my son. Kunle's look away was now replaced by images of my son doing the same thing. That, layered with adjusting to life with the new child, while battling what I thought to be autism, was hitting me all at once. Was I losing it? Was this the start of a nervous breakdown? I kept it together as I introduced myself to the social worker assigned to me. After we exchanged pleasantries, this petite blonde woman social worker lady listened to me as I started to tell my story of how my son needed an evaluation sooner rather than later. With each word that came out of my mouth, I felt myself getting weaker and weaker. I eventually got to the point where I couldn't hold back the tears any longer. The helplessness I felt as I watched my brother grow up was boiling inside me. Was history really repeating itself? In that moment, various emotions originated in my heart and produced vivid images in my head in a vicious loop. My heart was beating so hard, I could hear it in my head. All that was occurring in my body simultaneously had to come up. So it did. And I lost it. Right there, I became a puddle of mess in front of a woman I did not even know. I just started crying right then and there, again and again and again. The social worker simply looked at me, handed me a Kleenex, and rubbed my back. 
She explained to me that although the center had an extremely long waiting list, she did have the phone numbers to private clinics with shorter waiting lists who could evaluate Fela. The phone number she gave me was to the Wisconsin Early Autism Project, known better by its acronym of WEEP. I thanked the social worker profusely, got myself together in the room, gathered my thoughts, and called their clinic. They had an opening in two weeks. Two weeks was a whole lot better than six months. The day of November 8th, 2013 came. Tosa and I showed up to the wheat clinic with our two-year-old in tow. Dr. Robert Payton was the psychologist assigned to conduct the evaluation. Dr. P, as we sometimes call him, sat down for an interview with me to recall the details of the assessment. So there are a number of different assessments that are used. Uh, what has been considered the gold standard for some time now, and is personally my favorite, is a combination of the ADOS, which is the Autism Diagnostic Observation Scale, and the ADIR, which is the Autism Diagnostic Interview Revised. These consist of basically a play-based assessment. It's a play-based assessment where the child who is suspected to have an autism spectrum disorder goes through a series of seeming games and some questions, all of which are designed to elicit responses uh, in nonverbal behavior, in social reciprocity, emotional reciprocity, all the things that are used as definitional for a person who has an autism spectrum disorder has challenges in those particular areas. For the child who's going through it, ideally, it feels like they're just playing games and having a conversation the whole time. That is paired then with the interview, which is a 110-page long interview booklet that takes over two hours. And usually the parent is the person who's going through that. And there is, it's very directly asked about every single thing. When did you notice this? When did you notice that? Have you ever noticed any of these behaviors? Have you ever noticed any of those behaviors? And that is not indirect or subtle at all. It's, it's very direct questioning of those. And then both of those instruments are scored, ideally compared with then a, an IQ evaluation and a measure of adaptive ability. Fosa and I were certainly asked all of those questions. We gave the best answers we could based on our recollection and experiences. While still in the clinic, we were told that the full report would be sent to our family at a later time. But he wanted to sit us down and discuss what they had found. Dr. Payton looked Tosa first dead in his eye, then looked at me in a way an older sibling would do to comfort you during a hard time. I knew the look because I would give the same sort of look to my younger siblings when they needed to know that I was there for them. A social worker was sitting nearby with Kleenex in her hand. I already knew. We are formally diagnosing your son with autism spectrum disorder or PDDNOS, pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. The confirmation had come. I had succumbed to more tears. Tulsa, sitting right next to me, remained stoic. I knew this man. His mind had to be in a million places. Vividly remember hearing the words coming out of Dr. Payton's mouth, autism spectrum disorder, PDD-NOS, and right off the bat, a couple of different thoughts raced through my head at the same time. <laughs> Biggest one being, what does this mean? I'd heard sh stories of Kunle's uh, 
childhood and obviously uh, having met and known uh, Kunle immediately did a comparison in my head with the various uh, characteristics uh, Fela was exhibiting. And while one or two of them matched um, in terms of, you know, the lack of eye contact, the repeated stemming, Fela never really, it didn't cleanly fit. And I think my mind truly was just trying to find different reasons or arguments as to why this couldn't be autism or if it was this has to be, I don't know, something different, something or not what I I had, you know, I knew to be autism. I just quietly sobbed. My mind became a kaleidoscope of old and new. Thoughts of that pregnant woman smoking at that intersection came back from the outer crevices of my subconscious to the forefront of my mind in vivid technicolor. Kid probably doesn't need any form of early intervention, I thought. Flashes of memory of me as a child came into focus. I could see my mom tell me, I don't know what happened with Kuma. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. Well, I don't know what happened. My mind had a mind of its own. I was fully functional. My inner mind was acting in both the past and the present simultaneously. I had never experienced anything like that before. I really didn't know what that meant. Dr. P proceeded. We are uncertain as to whether this will be for a season or for a lifetime, but we do know that your son will be a joy to work with based on our observations today. The words were kind and landed well. He acknowledged that this news was something that our family needed to process and that he needed to be both a human and a clinician along the way. The social worker kindly offered me Kleenex, which I used quite a bit of. Tosa and I both asked questions as to next steps. We were recommended to have Fela start an applied behavioral analysis or ABA therapy regimen of 40 hours a week. Fela would later build the stamina to have over 40 hours of combined therapies a week, Monday through Saturday. It was a mix of ABA therapy speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, and feeding therapy. How soon would the team be assembled? A team of four behavioral therapists, their supervisor, and the overall team lead, the psychologist and board-certified behavioral analyst, or BCBA, would all be assembled and ready to start with Fela in January 2014. The report would later follow and really bring home the challenges that were before us. While we waited until ABA therapy started, I was very well aware that my son's brain appeared to be on autopilot. One day on the way home, he asked me if he were home yet 17 times. I counted. He would also open up books and say, look at all the letters. Look at all the letters. Look at all the letters. Over and over and over again. I prayed that he would have spontaneous speech again. I wanted him to be able to debate, negotiate, and be able to stand up for himself. I was hopeful that ABA would aid him in better communication. We just had to be patient and wait to see what happened. 
We also made the decision to enroll Fela in special education. Fela was assigned to Mrs. Armstrong's class, then a veteran special education teacher for over 15 years. This was not her first rodeo. She enjoyed working with young children with new diagnoses. My favorite parts of working with that age is working with the family in coming to an understanding of the situation and the potential. Because I think when families are given diagnoses, they often go dark, feel doomsday, kind of sad, hopeless, fearful. And I think part of my job was helping or is helping them see the light in that you still have this amazing child who has so much potential. We just have to find it differently. And I think helping families realize that a diagnosis isn't an end. It isn't um, anything to be ashamed of. It isn't anything to be down about. It isn't anything. It just is what it is. She was also an excellent team player. She collaborated with the private ABA therapy team in order to help Stella meet some of his goals early on. I'm a firm believer in, in treating a whole child. You can't do isolated therapies and expect them to take. You've got to get buy-in from everybody that's interacting with the child. And the earlier, the better. And so I've always been on an interdisciplinary team for my whole career. And so occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech all came into my classroom forever. So I've always been had that collaborative mindset, but it was a pleasure to be able to carry it over to home because then you see the gains so much faster. It didn't, I mean, it wouldn't dawn on me to not collaborate. For nearly two years, I either drove around the Madison metropolitan area taking Fell out to various therapies or... I had to stay home because Fela was doing some form of in-home therapy as well. This was truly a full-time job all its own. Meanwhile, Tosan was taking MBA classes full-time still. It was a lot. It was a new round of self-sacrifice. This time from the role of mother and not sister. Sometimes when you are the mother of a child in distress, you feel like you are personally experiencing it yourself. They are you and you are them. My child's autism was my own. Kunle's autism was my mom's. But this was not my mama's autism. This was a challenge for a new time with tools in place not previously accessible just a generation ago. So I no longer looked for work outside the home. Given all the previous research I had conducted on this topic, Tosan and I realized that time was of the essence. Tosan, still a full-time student, despite all that was going on, by the grace of God, he still kept a really good GPA. My job was to now focus completely on health care. I worked hand-in-hand with the various members of our medical team. I would end up managing some form of therapy six days a week for Fela for the first two years of his diagnosis. About six months into intensive early intervention, Fela made a breakthrough. We were on a long road trip to meet Tosan at his internship with my then three and a half year old and my 15 month old. I don't recommend that, by the way. 
But anyway, it was on the road to Kentucky when my little guy looked out the window and calmly yet confidently said, Mommy, look at the windmill. Like a lunatic, I screamed at the top of my lungs and I pulled over to the side of the road. I said, yes, baby. Yes, baby. I see the windmills. He looked at me and gave me a big smile. I immediately called Tosan, told him about this amazing utterance out of our three-year-old. We were two excited parents, one in Kentucky, one somewhere in between Wisconsin and Kentucky, grateful for the gift of spontaneous speech. We would also discover that summer that Fella had something called hyperlexia. Hyperlexia is defined as when someone can read at levels far beyond those expected for their age. Tosa and I can very much take credit that we taught him the alphabet, but he seemed to have taught himself the rest. I was walking through the woods later on that summer in Madison when my three-year-old looked at me and said, Mommy, as he points to the sign, please don't feed the animals. I thought to myself, huh? How did he know what the sign said? This boy went from having challenges communicating to somehow learning how to read on his own. To add to the complexity of life at this time, he had real challenges with social skills with other kids his age. At this point, he can read at least three grade levels above him, but didn't know how to ask a fellow three or four-year-old if they wanted to play with him. It was fascinating. His mind required so much nurturing, and Tosa and I spent a lot of time early on in this journey learning how this beautiful mind worked. This child would eventually be reading the words of the King James Version of the Bible before age five, but still needed a team of therapists to help him learn how to play hide-and-seek with other kids. Another breakthrough would come about a year into therapy, but not the kind you would think. It was beautiful, don't get me wrong, but it's not something that most parents would celebrate. One of Fela's therapists pulled me to the side and said that he had good news. Fela had lied to him in order to get out of trouble. He and I jumped up and down with glee and gave ourselves a hug. It was obviously something that we would have to explain to him shouldn't be done. But the lying showed a certain level of cognition. It showed that he was able to understand and attempt to predict the outcome of another person's actions based on his own. I was ecstatic. I told Tosan when he came home. He simply smiled. Our little boy was on his way. Fela soon got to a point where he felt far more comfortable speaking to adults than he did with kids. It certainly took some time for Fela to understand how to talk to children his age. He is still on his social skills journey, but those early days of ABA helped to give him a wonderful sense of self-awareness and set him on a path to where he is today. He was able to have the words needed to explain when he was sad, frustrated, etc., etc. One time, his dad was angry about a situation. I still can't remember what it was about, but Fela noticed because he was learning about feelings and emotions. He was also a huge fan of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood at the time on PBS Kids. Daniel Tiger was great for Fela because it had several themes around self-regulation and self-awareness and how to interact with the world around you. He put his tiny hand on his dad's shoulder and proceeded to speak to him with the words of Daniel.
tiger. Daddy, when you're feeling frustrated, take a step back and ask for help. It was so well-timed and so fella. He was learning how to communicate. He knew his dad was upset about something, so he used another's words to get the point across. At age five, Fella would tell me when he would later see me upset, Mommy, worry about nothing, pray about everything. Again, words he had ingested from elsewhere, stored in his little mind, and then delivered later at the appropriate time. Through years of therapy and prayers, Fella would better understand how to communicate with others and interact with the world around him. He is still a work in progress, as we all are, but he has truly come so far. He is one of my two miracle babies. Fella would test into his school district's gifted program in kindergarten. He would be invited into his school district's accelerated math program and be chosen to give a speech at a school function. My baby boy, the boy who we wonder if he would be able to have a full conversation with us one day, is now doing all of these things. He is hope personified, and he rightfully takes his position next to his uncle as one of my greatest teachers. Introducing our son, Fela. Hi, I'm Fela. I'm nine years old. I'm on the spectrum, but I'm on the higher functioning side of it. Describe what autism means to you. For me, autism is basically where your brain works differently than others. It's an excellent definition. Can you describe some of the challenges you face as someone who lives with autism? Some of the challenges that I face are that I'm not exactly the best at social skills. Most of the time, when I have a small problem, I have a big reaction. And how do you work through those challenges? When I get mad, I usually breathe deeply. It really helps. Actually, really helps. Good. One day at a time, baby boy. One day at a time. I have some more stuff to say. Like, we're stepping from awareness to, like, acceptance of autism. Just like basically next level. It's like more attention has been brought to the matter. What advice would you, my nine-year-old child, give parents who just learned that their children were diagnosed with autism? My advice would be don't freak out and talk with therapists and try to build a community like my family has and help others along with your own child. Little did I know, my baby brother's blueprint had not yet been fully utilized. Fella, it would turn out, was only the beginning. Deja Vu Part 2 was brewing. We were just getting started. Join us in two weeks for Episode 4, and then there was two, where we introduce you to the baby girl of our home and chief operating officer of Take Me or Who I Am or Else Incorporated, Alero. See you soon.